Last week we started a brand new series of messages that we are calling When God Doesn't Make Sense. And so often in life we can find ourselves in a perplexing season where we're struggling to make sense of God, we're struggling to make sense of uh, what God is doing. And uh, that is exactly what this series is all about. And we started last week and we were in Habakkuk chapter number one. And so today we're going to turn back to the book of Habakkuk. And I want to encourage you to grab a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And if it's been a while since you've been there, I'll give you an extra minute to find it. If you need to use the table of contents, no problem. We'll wait for you. And uh, it's towards the end of the Old Testament. If you reach the Gospel of Matthew, you've gone a little bit too far. And so you can go backwards a little bit. But Habakkuk chapter number two is where we're going to be. Now, the name Habakkuk actually means to embrace or to wrestle. I think that's fascinating because that's exactly where we find Habakkuk. He's wrestling with some tough questions about life and about God. How many of you have ever wrestled with some tough questions in life? Anybody like that? I know my hand is up, uh, kind of wondering, why is this happening? And why would God allow this to happen? And really, that's the theme of this Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet who was having a conversation with God. And so as we look to this short book in the Old Testament, what we're eavesdropping in on is a conversation between Habakkuk the prophet and between God. And I believe there's much to learn in this short book about how God works and why we can trust him. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 11, verse 34, who hath known the mind of the Lord? So often we, we presume as though if we were God, we would know what to do. But the Bible says, who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? And so often we struggle with these internal questions. And I'm praying that uh, we can find some clarity through scripture today. If you're ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? amen. Let's look at Habakkuk chapter, chapter number two, verse number one. The Bible says this. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and I will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it so that this message can be carried on, that the message can be uh, moved forward. Verse three, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. Everybody say an appointed time. This vision was for an appointed time. I'm thankful that our God has an appointed time. In fact, the Bible says that he has determined the times before they are appointed, that our God's timing is always right on schedule. But at the end, it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, wait for it. Look to your second choice and say, you too. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Verse four, behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by faith. Today I want to bring a message that I'm calling this, while you wait. While you wait. Let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this time that we can come together and that we can study your word. God, today we acknowledge that it's not about what we think or what we have to say. It's not about 
mere human philosophy, but God, we do acknowledge that your word is inspired and infallible, and today we want to glean from your word. And God, I pray that if there's anyone in the room today that is hurting, that is broken, that we would find hope today, that hope that we sang about. Lord, I pray that we can find encouragement from these words, that we would find edification from these words. And God, I pray that we would be challenged in our time together. God, that we would not be a church that simply gathers together to hear and never do, but God, I pray that we would be doers of the word, that we would apply this truth to our lives and that you would be pleased with it all. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. a few weeks ago, I had the taillight in my car that was out. And so I Googled it, how to fix it, and I was kind of trying to figure out how I can replace this uh, taillight. And I uh, quickly figured out that it was going to be pretty complicated and complex. So I decided I'm just going to go ahead and take it into a mechanic. And so I took it into the mechanic, and I said I need to get my taillight replaced. And the mechanic said, no problem. There's a few cars ahead of you. Uh, so it's going to be a little weight, a little weight. Now, what I now know is that when a mechanic says a little weight, that means that uh, they're going to keep your car as long as they possibly want, right? It's just going to be an all-day experience. And so uh, I was there at the mechanic, and I was waiting hours uh, to see uh, if they could fix my taillight. And what was frustrating about that experience is I could look out the window, and I could see that my car was still parked in the parking spot, and they had not gone out to get my car to check on it. And so after a couple hours of that, I went to the front desk, and I said, I can still see uh, my car out there. I was just wondering, you know, any update on this? And they said, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to check on that uh, right now. And so about 10 minutes later, they went, they grabbed the car, and right away, they came and got me, and they called me up, and they said, actually, we don't have that part. We can't fix your car. How many of you know that is when a man's character is tested in that moment, right? I, I was thinking in my head, I was waiting this whole time, uh, hours for you to fix my taillight just to, just to find out that you don't have uh, the part. That was a frustrating experience. You know, the truth is in life that waiting can be exasperating, especially when we feel as though we are waiting on God. When we are waiting for a dream to come to fruition, when we're waiting for a relationship to be restored, when we're waiting for God to open up doors of opportunity, when we're waiting for God to bring the pieces of the puzzle together. And so often in life, when we feel like we are waiting on God, we can be frustrated. But I just want to remind you today that with God, a waiting season is not a wasted season when your faith is anchored to Jesus. That God is always working behind the scenes. And we saw that uh, last week in, in Habakkuk chapter number one. Uh, I love what David said in the Psalms in Psalm 130 verse number five. He said, I wait for the Lord. He, he said, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. And I love this distinction that David makes in the Psalms that he says, I'm waiting on God, but also my soul is waiting. And, and I love this distinction that he makes because so often we're waiting in life simply because we don't have a choice. We're waiting because, well, we don't have a choice in, in the matter. But David said, I'm coming to a place where I want my soul to be at rest and there to be patience and rest and, and waiting within my soul. Adrian Rogers said this, you can save a lot of time waiting on God. And how true is that? That so often we want to get out ahead of God and we want to uh, speed things up and we want to hurry the process along. And in so doing, we only prolong the frustration when we try to get out ahead of God, but rather if we take a step back and we acknowledge that God is in control and we are not, uh, then we are going to find the peace that, uh, that we are looking for. Now, uh, last week we started this series in Habakkuk, and Habakkuk had some tough questions for God. 
And if you read chapter number one, he says, God, how long is this going to take? And God, why aren't you stepping in? And God, why aren't you uh, intervening? And now Habakkuk in chapter number two, the chapter we're going to look at today, Habakkuk is waiting for a response. He's waiting for God to come and to uh, speak to his complaints. Now, in chapter number one, God had already told him some interesting things. Uh, God told Habakkuk that he was going to judge uh, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, because of their wickedness. Now, uh, for Habakkuk to hear that, that would not have been a surprise him. In fact, I would say that Habakkuk probably agreed with that because Habakkuk knew that the people of uh, Israel were living in sin. They had rejected God's ways. They had rejected God's commandments. They were uh, worshiping false idols. And the prophet Jeremiah, who was a contemporary of Habakkuk, he had been warning them for 40 years, hey, repent and and turn back. And so uh, to hear that God was going to judge the nation of Israel was not so much of a surprise to Habakkuk, but what God said next really confused Habakkuk. Uh, What God said next to Habakkuk really kind of threw him into a spiritual uh, tailspin where he was thinking, God, this doesn't make sense at all. Because what God said was, not only am I going to judge the nation of Israel, I'm going to use the Babylonians to do it. Now, this frustrated Habakkuk because Habakkuk thought, "Uh, God, if you're going to judge us, why are you going to use a nation that is far worse than we are? Uh, God, the uh, the Babylonians, they are pure evil, and God, they are wicked, and they uh, have completely rejected you. And so why on earth would you use a nation that is more wicked than us to judge us? And Habakkuk was struggling to make sense of God. God, why would you use them? This doesn't make any sense. And so often we find ourselves in a similar situation situation in life where we're struggling to make sense of the ways of God. And uh, this happens so often we can put our faith in Jesus and we can trust Christ as our Savior and, and uh, things are going relatively well and, and uh, we're happy and things are going great. And then all of a sudden we experience a trial. We experience a great loss. We experience a heartache. And now all of a sudden we're perplexed at what God is doing and we're confused. And all of a sudden uh, life uh, doesn't make sense to us anymore. Harry Truman famously said that, uh, that if, you can't, uh, if you can't convince them, then confuse them. And I believe that's exactly what the devil wants to do in your life and in my life. If he can't convince us that, that we're not a child of God, then he wants to confuse us in our standing with God and to confuse us about uh, the perplexing things of life. And so I believe it should be our prayer today uh, that the Bible says in Psalm 119, 169, this should be our prayer. Let me cry, come near before thee, O Lord, Give me understanding according to thy word. How many of you would say, that's the prayer and desire of my heart, that God would give me understanding. Anybody like that today? There's good news for us because the Bible says in James 1.5 that if any of you lack wisdom, uh, uh, that if we cry out to God and ask for wisdom, he will give it to us. And upbraideth not. He's not going to hold back on us. And so I believe that's exactly what we can do today. Uh, we can look to God's word and find wisdom and understanding uh, through the word of God. And so today what I'd like to do is this. As we look to Habakkuk chapter number 2. I want to give us three ways that we can respond to God in a waiting season. Would that be okay today? Three ways that we can respond to God when we find ourselves in a waiting season. Number one is this, if you're taking notes. Hear his words. How can we respond to God in a season of waiting? Well, first we have to hear his words. Uh, Katie and I, we have three children, and sometimes in our household, things will get very loud, and uh, the kids will be running around, and, and uh, sometimes if we're trying to watch the news or something, uh, we will not be able to hear uh, what's going on on the TV, and so what we do quite frequently, one of our favorite life hacks, is we will just turn the captions on, like at, like at all times, just so we can kind of read uh, what's taking place, because we can't, we can't hear. We're struggling to hear the TV. I think so often we are struggling to hear what God is trying to teach us. 
And Habakkuk here is going to put himself in a position where he can hear the words of God. And it starts in verse number one. Are you ready for it? It says in verse number one, Habakkuk says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. Now in the Old Testament, the watchtower was a place where someone would go and they would watch and observe. And if the enemy was coming, they would sound off the alarm. They would issue a warning. And so Habakkuk says, I'm going to go and stand up in the watchtower and I'm just going to wait uh, to hear a word from God. Notice what he says. And we'll watch to see, verse, verse one, what he will say unto me. He says, I'm going to wait and see what God is going to say and speak to me. And and so what I want us to see today, if we're going to hear the words of God, we have to do three things. First, we have to stop and listen. We have to stop and listen. So often, we are busy complaining about our season, whining about our season, and we are talking to everyone else about our season, and we fail to pause and listen to what God is trying to teach us in our season. We're so busy talking to everyone else. We're so busy uh, going to and fro. Are we stopping? Are we pausing just to listen uh, to what God has to say to us? And this is what Habakkuk is doing. He's saying, you know what? I I voice my complaints. Uh, God is not afraid of your honest prayers. In fact, God wants you to pray honest prayers. Uh, The deepest questions of your heart, uh, bring them before him. That's exactly what Habakkuk did. But then Habakkuk says, now I'm going to wait and I'm going to listen so I can hear uh, the words of God. Uh, About 250 years before the prophet Habakkuk, there was another prophet. His name was Elijah. And Elijah was in a season of life where he was very discouraged. How many of you have ever found yourself in a season where you were battling some discouragement? Anybody like that? Uh, uh, This is where Elijah was. And Elijah was in a perplexing season, and I would say much like Habakkuk, he was asking uh, this question, God, what are you doing? And and struggling to make sense of what God was doing. See, in Elijah's day, there was a woman named Jezebel, and she was a wicked and evil woman that wanted to kill Elijah. And Elijah couldn't make sense of this. He was thinking, I'm trying to do the will of the Lord. I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. Why is God allowing Jezebel to uh, take reign, and why is he allowing her to prosper, and she wants to kill me? Elijah was so discouraged that he literally asked God, take my life. I don't even want to go on. He was in such a desperate and disheartening uh, season that he didn't even want to move forward. But then he heard the voice of God. And I want to read a few verses from Elijah's experience because I believe it's exactly what we need today. First uh, Kings chapter 19, verse number 11. Is everybody with me today? First Kings nineteen eleven. it says this, and he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. By the way, it would have made sense for God to be in the fire. He had done that before. Remember the burning bush with Moses? It would make sense for God to show up and to speak to Elijah in that fashion. But the Bible says he was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, he heard it. Everybody say heard it. He heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood in the entering of the cave and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? Elijah, what are you doing in this season? See what Elijah desperately needed was to tune in and hear the voice of God. See, God is always speaking But he's not always speaking in a way that we might expect. 
He didn't come in the fire. He didn't come in the earthquake. He didn't come in the wind. He came by a still, small voice. And this morning, if you are struggling to make sense of God and you are serious about hearing a word from God, I would encourage you to find a quiet place, find a solitude place with the word of God and tune into his still, small voice. Hey, it might not be dramatic. There might not be fireworks, but it's exactly what we need to tune into the word of God. If you are serious about making sense of God, we need to tune out all the voices in the world and tune into the voice of God. And God is speaking. The question is, are we listening? God is speaking through his word. He desires to have a relationship with you. We can communicate and talk to God through prayer and God wants to communicate and speak to you through his word. The question is, are we listening? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Are we listening? Are we listening? And so if we're going to hear his words, we have to stop and listen. But then there's a second thing that we learn from Habakkuk. We then have to write. We have to write. Notice what he says now in verse number two. He says this, and the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, write it down and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that reads it. He says, I want this message to be carried to other people. I want you to write it down. Now, why does God ask Habakkuk to write down the vision? Well, years later, when all of the things that God says come to fruition and all of these things come to pass, he wants there to be a written record uh, to be preserved to show evidence that what God said actually came to pass. By the way, aren't you thankful that everything God says will come to pass and that we can trust his word? And so he says, I want you to write it down. Uh, by the way, this also gives us insight to the fact that uh, when we read scripture, when we open up uh, our Bibles to Habakkuk, we're not just reading uh, the philosophy of Habakkuk and what Habakkuk has to say and what Habakkuk thinks. We're reading the very words of God. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 1.21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Anybody believe today that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof and instruction in righteousness? Hey, we're not just up here talking about uh, what we think and what man has to say and what the culture and the world has to say. We're learning what God wants us to learn. And so he says, he says, write it down. Habakkuk, I want you to write the vision so that it can be preserved. By the way, I think there's a great practical application for us, and that, that is that uh, there is great value in us getting pen to paper. There's great value in us writing some things down. There's great value in writing out prayers and journaling. Uh, I remember almost 15 years ago now, I went on a mission trip to the Philippines, and I went uh, by myself. I was there for about a month. And I journaled uh, throughout that trip. And uh, just for fun, yesterday I grabbed that journal just to kind of see some of the things that I was writing down. And I was reading through that journal. And, and uh, one of the things I wrote down was there was a night in the Philippines where I was staying on a little uh, village island. It was an island with no electricity. And I was staying there in someone's uh, little uh, house, this little hut that they had. And, and uh, there was an extreme uh, downpour of rain this one particular night. And I'll never forget uh, just hearing the uh, loud sounds of the thunder and the lightning. And I wrote about that experience. And I wrote, it reminds me so much of the power of God. And it's kind of fun and encouraging to go back and to read some things of what God was doing in my life in those certain seasons. And I would encourage you uh, when it comes to your quiet time, when it comes to your time with God, to get pen to paper to write out your prayers, to write out scripture, to write out some of your questions, to write out some of your prayer requests, to write out some of your praise reports so that you can look back and see what God was doing in your life in that season. And so uh, God tells Habakkuk, hey, you need to listen. You need to uh, write 
But then there's a third way that we can hear from God, and that is that we wait. That we just wait. Notice what he says now in verse 3. He says this, For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Hey, God is always worth the wait. God's timing is not our timing, but he says, Habakkuk, I'm going to speak to you. I want you to wait on my timing. Wait for it. Can I encourage you today? God's delays are not God's denials. Sometimes he's going to have us go through a waiting season, not to punish us, but to protect us because he loves us. And a frustrating uh, waiting season can be a frustrating season, but God's timing is perfect. And he says to Habakkuk, I want you to wait. You know, uh, when I am texting someone on my phone, um, I, always look for, I always look for those three little bubbles that pop up on iMessage. How many of you know what I'm talking about, those three? I want to see, did someone get my uh, text? And I want to know, are you thinking about a response? You know, I want to I wanna know, are you, are you thinking about what you're going to say back to me? And so when those three little bubbles pop up, I'm always kind of interested. Some of you are looking at me like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Does anybody know what I'm talking about with the three little bubbles? All right, uh, this right here. I think the truth is a lot of times... That's how we feel in our relationship with God. God, I know that you're speaking. I know you have a message for me. I know you have a word for me. But I'm struggling to know what to do in this season. I'm waiting for, do I take the job or not? Do I move forward in this relationship? And, and, and what about this season? And God, uh, uh, I'm struggling to ascertain what you want me to do in this season. And it seems as though often we are waiting on God. There was a commentator named Francis Anderson who said this about this passage in Habakkuk. He said, the silence of God vexed and grieved him. But he knew there was nothing he could do about it. Or rather, all he could do was keep on praying, keep on waiting, and keep on watching. And I want to encourage you, if you are in a season like this where you are waiting, where you are frustrated, to keep on praying, to keep on waiting, and to keep on watching, because in due season we will reap if we faint not. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 30, verse number 18, And therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore uh, will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment, blessed are all they that wait for him. There is a blessing accompanied to those that are willing to wait on God's timing. And so then the question is, well, what do we do when we wait? Well, what does a waiter do? Well, we know by definition a, a waiter is someone that serves. Can I encourage you when you're in a waiting season to keep on serving? When you're in a season of waiting and you are in a season of patience, I would encourage you to get actively involved and to start serving and to up your level of intensity when it comes to serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And don't let that waiting season turn into a wasted season, but let that waiting season be a worshiping season where you are going to serve the Lord even when you can't connect all the dots. I'm going to keep on serving. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so waiting on God's timing and then serving the Lord while we wait. Now, I want to move on to verse number four. Everybody still with me? Verse four, behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. Now, uh, this is talking about the Babylonians. In fact, uh, the rest of the chapter, he's really going to be talking and referencing about uh, the Babylonians. And he says, his soul which is lifted up, lifted up in pride and arrogance. That that was the connotation and the definition of the Babylonians. They were lifted up. He says, is not upright in him, but by contrast, the just shall live by his faith. 
The just shall live by faith. Now, this is a paramount verse in Scripture. In fact, it's often quoted in the New Testament. Uh, Paul loved to quote Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number uh, 4. We see him uh, quoting it in Galatians, uh, the, the author of Hebrews and Romans. In Romans chapter 1, verse number 16, it says this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. By the way, we need more followers of Jesus that would say, I'm not ashamed of the good news of the gospel. I'm not going to cower and hide and put a bushel over my light, but I'm going to let my light shine forth and let people know that I love Jesus and I'm not ashamed of who uh, knows about it. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first, to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, as it is written back in the Old Testament, as it is written where? In Habakkuk chapter 2 verse number 4. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so what Paul does is he appropriates Habakkuk chapter 2 verse number 4 uh, as the biblical foundation for the gospel. That we are saved not by works of righteousness and what we can do, but by faith. Uh, that was the whole message of uh, Galatians that we studied throughout this summer. That we are not saved by uh, the righteousness and the works that we can bring to the table, but we are saved by faith. The just shall live by faith. And so uh, this is what uh, we see all the way in Habakkuk chapter number 2. And so this morning, first of all, I want to encourage you. When we're in a waiting season, when we're struggling to make sense of God, uh, hear his words. Tune into the voice of God. Now, this leads us to our second thought today. Number two is this. Heed his warnings. And so we have to hear his words, but then we have to heed his warnings. Now, uh, we have warning labels on all kinds of things in life, right? We get warnings all the time. I, I read an article this week that was mentioning some, uh, um, some humorous warning labels. One of them was on a carton of eggs, and it literally says, warning, this product may contain eggs. <laughs> so in case you didn't know, they wanted to slap that warning label on the carton of eggs. Uh, there was another one, and it was on a, a tractor, and there's a giant sticker on the side of the tractor that literally just says this, avoid death. Okay, so uh, thank you for sharing. I'm going to write that down. That's a good note. I'm going to avoid death. There are other ones on a, on a washing machine. It has a picture of a person. It says, do not uh, put a person inside the washer. Uh, there was a Superman uh, superhero costume, and it says, warning, this costume does not enable flight or super strength. And uh, uh, these were real warnings that uh, were put on these different, different products. You know, warnings are a part of life. We get uh, warnings on products and on, on street signs and on medicine. But we also find warnings in God's word, and a spiritually mature person learns to listen in to those warnings, to heed those warnings. Uh, back in the early 80s, there was this war that broke out between England and Argentina over the Falkland Islands, the control of this area. And there was a, a plane from Argentina that shot a missile to a ship uh, from England, the HMS Sheffield, and it actually destroyed the ship. And they did an investigation after this, and they discovered that uh, when the missile was on its way, uh, that there were warning signs that went off, and that they saw that, that there was a missile coming, but the people looked out that were on board the ship, and they couldn't see a plane, so they thought it was a false alarm. And so they had the warning, but they just didn't act on it. And, and I think that's a good analogy to our culture today, because the problem in our culture today is not a lack of truth or a lack of warning. The problem in our culture is a refusal to heed the warning to listen into the warning, to listen into the truth that we have in God's word. And I want you to know today as a follower of Jesus that you can either listen to the warning or you can learn from the wreckage. 
And today we have to learn when God gives a warning, I better listen in and see what that warning is. And so what we're going to do over the next few verses here, in fact, really verses 5 through 20, God is going to issue several warnings to Babylon. Now, let me give a little bit of context as to why God responds in this fashion. Remember Habakkuk's complaint, God, why would you allow Babylon to prosper? They are wicked, they are evil, and God, uh, this doesn't make any sense to me. Well, God is going to issue these warnings to Babylon. He's going to tell them to Habakkuk uh, because God is trying to encourage Habakkuk I am in control. Hey, trust me, I know what Babylon is doing. I know the evil that they are capable of, but I am in control. And I think there's great encouragement for us today as we consider the the current events that are taking place in our world, just to remember that God is actively aware and that he is sovereign and he is in control and he knows the evil that's taking place in the world today and he will judge the world. And we can be confident in that and know that. And so what God does here is he's gonna give five warnings. They're called the five woes to Babylon. And I'm going to give these to us quickly. We're not going to, we're not going to dive uh, into, uh, too deeply into all of these verses for the sake of time, but I want to point out the five woes of Babylon. So if someone asks you today, what'd you learn about in church? You can say the five woes of Babylon, okay, in Habakkuk chapter two, all right? So, so here they are. Is everybody ready? The first woe is this, the woe of greed. Greed. Now, I want you to see it in verse number six. He says, shall not all these take up a parable against him and a taunting proverb against him and say, woe, everybody say, woe, woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. How long? And to him that ladeth himself with thick clay. This was a reference to the fact that uh, Babylon would go into a village, go into a city and take all of their wealth, take all of their possessions that did not belong to them. Uh, The Babylonians were thieves and uh, they were filled with greed. They were consumed with constantly having more and more and more and more power and more position and more uh, possessions and more uh, wealth. They were consumed with this greed. And so God gives this woe, this warning of greed. Proverbs chapter 14, 31 says, he that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. And I believe that we have to be very careful because we are living in a culture today that is becoming consumed with materialism. And constantly the need and the want and the desire to have more, to have more money, to have more opportunities, to have more possessions, and and to have more recognition. And we constantly have this insatiable desire for more. But what did Paul say in the New Testament? He said, I have learned that in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Whether I have a little, whether I have a lot. I've learned to be content because if I have Jesus, the truth is I have enough. And so the first woe, the first warning is the warning of greed. Here's the second one. Number two is this, the woe of false security. The woe of false security. I want you to see it in verse number nine. It says, woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high. Again here, you have to remember, God's talking and referring to the Babylonians, okay? And he says, they're going to set their nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Now, what does that mean? Uh, God is saying that the Babylonians, they were so strong, they were so powerful, they were so forceful, and they had so much on their side that they thought they could just build their home up high and no other forces of evil could ever affect them. And they were trusting in their own security. Do you see it? Uh, they're, they're trusting in their own sense of security. No, they, they thought they were untouchable. Hey, we're going to build this 
kingdom over here and no one's going to be able to reach us. And so God delivers this warning, this woe of false security. And I thought about that and I thought uh, that is an exact warning that is needed in our culture today uh, because we are so often trusting in ourselves, We're trusting in our bank account. We're trusting in our career. We're trusting in our ability. But I want you to know the only true form of stability and security in life is when Jesus Christ is the anchor for your soul. Then you have true stability. But the Babylonians, they thought we're untouchable. No one could uh, bother us. We are that powerful. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And so this was the woe of false security. Here's the third woe, the woe of violence. Notice verse 12. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establish a city by iniquity or by sin. And so this is in reference to how the Babylonians were completely uh, bloodthirsty. They were a violent uh, superpower of the world. They, they came in and they would plunder uh, nations and destroy nations. And they were a uh, people of violence. And I was reading this week that according to the World Health Organization, WHO, that the leading, one of the leading causes of death for people 15 to 44 years of age worldwide is violence. One of the leading causes of death people between the ages of 15 and 44 worldwide is violence. Think about that for a second. Not a disease, not a plague, but people wanting to hurt other people. See, we are living in a world today that is filled with violence and we are uh, quick to get angry and quick to get upset and we're filled with rage and we want to respond and we want to get vengeance and we want to get even. And God issues this warning for those that are violent. He, he says, woe to them that is going to shed innocent blood. Titus chapter two, uh, 3 verse number 2 says this, we are to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle. Everybody say gentle. Showing meekness unto all men, that we are to show meekness. You know, biblically, we know that meekness is not weakness, right? Meekness is power under control. It doesn't mean that you don't have strength. It doesn't mean that you don't have power or influence. It means you know how to harness it and that it's under control. And so we see this woe of violence. Here's the fourth woe, the woe of arrogance. We see this in verse 15. He says, woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink and puts the bottle to him, make him uh, drunk also, that thou mayest look upon their nakedness. In verse 16, thou art filled with shame for glory. Now, what this is speaking of here is the absolute debauchery of the Babylonians. And this gives us a little insight to what the Babylonians were like. They would literally uh, capture their enemy and make them drink alcohol so that they would be drunk, so that they would make fools of themselves, so that they could shame, that they could glory in their shame and in their nakedness. And this speaks to the absolute degradation of this culture and this society. Uh, but they were so arrogant that verse 16 says that they were glorying, basking in their shame. Uh, mocking their enemy, this, this absolute uh, spirit of arrogance. You know, in Proverbs, it says there are six things that the Lord does hate and seven are an abomination. And the first thing on the list is what? A proud look. A proud look. When we walk in arrogance and when we are filled with pride and when we lift ourselves up and we're constantly trying to minimize others so that we can elevate ourselves, the woe of arrogance. And this is the last woe. The fifth woe is this, the woe of idolatry. Everybody still with me this morning? The woe of idolatry. And we see this woe in verse 19. He says, woe unto him that saith to the wood, awake, to the dumb stone, arise. And it shall teach. 
Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. So God is speaking to the absolute worthlessness of of worshiping a false idol. There's no breath in it. It can't uh, come alive. It's not going to be able to help you. Now, we know in Babylonian culture, uh, the God that they worship was the God Marduk. And this was the chief deity amongst the Babylonians. And so what God does is he exposes the absolute uh, uh, reality that idols and idol worship are completely powerless and, and worthless. They are mute, deaf, and dumb. Now, this warning against idolatry is not just an ancient warning for that culture. Can I tell you that idolatry is alive and well in America today? Idolatry is alive and well so often in the church today. See, in the Old Testament, when God gave the Ten Commandments, he said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Therefore, anything in your life that you put before God becomes an idol. And that can even be a good thing. It can be, it can be a good thing in your life, but in its wrongful place, it becomes idolatrous. Because when a good thing becomes a God thing, in so doing, it is a bad thing. Because it becomes an idol. And so a lot of times we can idolize sports, we can idolize our career, we can idolize education, and we can idolize all these different things that in their rightful position they are good things, but when we elevate them above the position that God alone deserves, it becomes idolatrous. The Bible says that Christ in all things should have the preeminence. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. And so he gives the woe of idolatry. And so as we briefly considered these five woes today, I wonder, is God putting up any warning signs in your life? The woe of greed, false security, thinking, I'm good, I got this, I'm untouchable. Violence, arrogance, idolatry. We would be wise as followers of Jesus to listen into the warning, to to, to heed the warnings that God is giving us. Now, I, I want you to know that God gave these five warnings to Habakkuk to actually encourage him. Because what was Habakkuk's major complaint? Uh, God, how could you use the Babylonians? They're so evil. They're so wicked. And what God is saying is, I am fully aware of the evil that's taking place in the world today. Hey, when we consider what's going on in Afghanistan, and we consider the tragic loss of life, and our heart breaks for what happens this week, and sometimes we can be perplexed, and we can ask God why, and, and God, how long is this going to continue? And I want you to know, based on what God was telling Habakkuk, that we can trust and rest assured that God sees every evil. He sees every act of injustice. He sees every abuse and make no mistake about it. Our God will have the last word. And at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess that he is Lord and every knee will bow before him. Our God is completely in control. And he says, Habakkuk, I see what's going on with the Babylonians. Don't you think I'm fully aware of how wicked and how evil they are? And according to my timing, I will bring them into judgment. And so today when we're going through a difficult season, what do we do? We hear his words. We heed his warnings. And here's the third thought we'll be done today. Number three, we hope in his will. Then we can hope in his will. And I love verse number 20. I I believe it's so encouraging. Notice verse 20. It says this. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Listen and don't miss it. Verse 20. But the Lord. Yeah, there's a lot of evil going on today. But the Lord. (laughs) There's a lot of injustice that's taking place. But the Lord. Evil is running rampant, but the Lord. He is still in his holy temple. He is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But the Lord. He is still seated at the right hand of the Father in a position of control. But the Lord. 
is in his holy temple. Our God is alive and well. He's enthroned in his temple. And this reference to God being in his temple, that, that the Lord's presence was in his temple, was a reference to the fact that God had not forsaken his people. He's still in the temple. Can I tell you, God has not forsaken his people. And that God's silence cannot be mistaken for God's absence. Uh, that, that God is still working. That God is still active. And so when we are overwhelmed, when we can't make sense of God, we must remember that he's still on the throne. Romans 15 verse 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful today that we have the hope of heaven, that we have the hope that Jesus is going to return and call his children home, that blessed and glorious hope. And today we can hope in his will. He is still seated on the throne, but the Lord is still in his temple. We see in Habakkuk. We have hope. Charles Spurgeon said this, those who do not hope cannot wait. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Now, the book of Habakkuk, like I said at the beginning of the message today, it's a prayer. It's a conversation between God and Habakkuk, a very raw and real and honest conversation. Habakkuk had some tough questions. He brought them before the Lord. And so we're listening in on this conversation. Really what Habakkuk is, is a prayer. Habakkuk cries out to God and God responds to him. And I think so often we struggle with prayer and we're lacking faith in our prayers. Remember, the just shall live by his faith. We're lacking faith when we boldly approach the throne of grace. Several years ago, I was reading an article about how many letters that the sitting president of the United States will get on a daily basis. And back when I read this article, uh, Barack Obama was the president and he was talking about how many letters he would receive and it was upwards of 40,000 letters a day. And he, of course, wouldn't read all the letters, but he had a whole team of people on his staff that would uh, filter through the letters. And what they would do is they would pick the top 10 that kind of conveyed the overall message of all the letters and they would give the president 10 letters on a daily basis that he would read. And every day he would read those 10 letters and many times he would respond to them. But the staffer that was in charge of this project on a daily basis, just filtering through and reading all of these letters, she said that there was one overarching and common theme amongst all the letters. She said almost all the letters started something like this. I don't think you'll ever see this. You probably won't ever read this, but you probably won't ever even see this, but I think if we're not careful, that is how we will approach God in prayer probably can't hear this, but I'll, I'll try. God, I, I think you're there and I, I think that you're working, but I'm not quite sure. Can I encourage you that the Bible says that God loves to hear from his children, that he desires to hear our prayers, that he longs to hear from us, and we can boldly approach the throne of grace. And we can bring our requests, our needs directly before him. Today, we have hope. We can hope in his will because Jesus is still on the throne. Would you join me in standing this morning? Today, if you're struggling to make sense of God, if you have some questions, if you're hurting, if you're broken, I would encourage you, hear his words. Listen in. Are you listening? Are you going around and complaining and talking? Or are you listening, tuning into the voice of God? Heed his warnings. Consider those five woes of Babylon. And then hope 
in his will. Can I tell you today that we can have hope and we do not sorrow as those without hope because hope has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. And today I want to close by worshiping him in song and declaring that hope has a name. And so let's lift up our voices and let's sing it out today. Hope has a name. Sing it out today.